I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding in even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply For over 40 years, the Halloween series has thrilled and terrified audiences. From its low-budget origins to spawning a new era of slashers. The franchise remains a cultural touchstone around the world, often referred to as the Gone with the Wind of Horror. From the first chilling notes of the iconic score to the final frame, join Joel Brown as we explore the iconic horror series, digging deep into the characters, the storylines, and the spine-chilling scares. Welcome to Talking Shape with Joel Brown, the ultimate podcast for Halloween franchise enthusiasts. 2023 Stop the Killer in partnership with Fright Rags will be releasing an official licensed board game celebrating the 1981 Halloween 2 film and here to tell us more about it plus all things regarding the Halloween franchise he's a genre expert producing such horror retrospectives as Halloween 25 Years of Terror his name was Jason 30 Years of Friday the 13th and still screaming the ultimate scary movie retrospective the president of Massey Media it's a big hello and welcome to Anthony Massey oh my god thank you for having me Uh, I tell you what, Halloween 2, the board game, I think I saw this posted online, would have been probably mid last year or 2022, and I was like, oh my god, where is this, where do I get it, I guess, but from, let's go back to the beginning, I guess, I mean, it's going to be the third installment with the Stop the Killer um, series that you've done with uh, Fright Rags, I mean, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and My Bloody Valentine were the first ones to kick it off. But why mm-hmm. Halloween 2 as the third installment with this series? Well, uh, I, I, it has a huge fan base. It's one of my favorite horror movies ever. I love Halloween 2. I mean, I watch Halloween 2 the most out of the Halloween franchise um, just because I love it so much. I love the the lighting and um, just what it looks like. And Michael looks great in it. And, you know, so I, I love that movie. Uh, but Fright Rags had the license for Halloween 2. And that had a big effect or uh, influence on why we did this game next uh it's a much bigger title than the previous games we did in this series and so um it just was really exciting to have this license and so we thought this was would make it the perfect third entry and you know in in horror movies there's in slasher movies from the early 80s there's like these conventions that are that we build into the board game so there's there's usually a killer a very identifiable killer he's trying to get from one place to he's trying to get somewhere from one place to from a to z he's trying to get somewhere um there's usually a sheriff you know silent night deadly night it was officer barnes my bloody valentine it was um chief newbie for halloween too it's you know officer hunt and so um there's very there's like tropes that uh, that that also Halloween two lent itself very very uh, wonderfully to the method of play for Stop the Killer, um, and so we just thought for those reasons, you know, and it's just such a great '80s horror movie, so that's why we picked it. 
And my thinking was as well, there was more characters than, say, the original Halloween, because that was such a small, low-budget, independent film. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's in a hospital, and I imagine that could open itself up to, like, from a board game perspective, different locations on the board could be different parts of the hospital. That's just me sort of, I guess, guessing. But you mentioned, like... Um, Fright Rags having the license. So if they had the license, say, for example, to the new Halloween or maybe the original Halloween, would have it been based off that? Uh, yeah, well, we're chasing licenses that we have access to, and Fright Rags has has really great license, licenses in place already. And so, um, like, the next game after Halloween 2 is a license I had to chase because um, I have a relationship with the guy that owns... Uh, something that has to do with the franchise. And so I sort of had to crack that nut and, um, and, uh, but yeah, but Ben has just as a Ben over at Fright Rags and Ben Scrivens. I don't know if you, if you know his name, but he runs uh, Fright Rags just, you know, he was telling me what licenses he had. And I was like, Oh my God, we have to do a Halloween two game. I mean, you know, how how fun is that? You know, a board game based on Halloween two. Sign me up. And this is actually the artwork for the 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 front of the box. Um, I don't know if you can see it, but it looks um, fantastic. Yeah, and you've got like Jamie Lee. You don't see her face though. It's like her butt. <laughs> so, was, there was there's a reason for that. Yeah, I was gonna say was that if if the face is seen, uh, I guess um, the price yeah. and the license, or that she may have been have a percentage, or <laughs> yeah, you have to clear likeness and all of that. And you know, the artist uh, it's Justin Osborne um, who does mo- he did this this graphic, uh, but you know, Fright Rag says he's amazing artists, and so you know, the games look great. And and that was one thing we wanted was to make sure that the games just were collectibles in themselves. Whereas it's not just a game that has a really simple board. It's a really thoughtful, beautifully done board. So um, we put gold foiling on them and little other like glossy UV spot, spot, you know, treatments just to make it a collectible in itself. And and I love when people open the game for the first time and they study everything. Um, you had mentioned about Halloween too, like, you know, are there going to be locations and stuff? It's two-sided board. And the first side is the stock side. And it's Michael just leaving the house that he's gotten up and walked away from at the end of Halloween. And his destination is Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. The other side is the kill side and it's Michael in the hospital. And so you, and the way that uh, Joe over at Fright Rags laid out the board was, um, he integrated the colors from the movie and different different visual cues that really make you feel like you're inside the hospital. It's really cool. And of course, you're seeing Michael killing everybody, all of his great kills all around the board. Um, so we were very thoughtful about it and wanted to sort of create this you know, board game where you can kind of put yourself in the movie and then go battle Michael Myers. That's really kind of what, what the, you're trying to stop the killer in this case, Michael, either get you can play on either side of the board. You're either stopping him from getting to the hospital or you're stopping him from killing Laurie Strode. So so that's pretty much the concept and objective of the game. But yeah, we're very excited to for people to see it. I mean, we spent a lot of time on the artwork and every little detail of the design. You said from the top there that uh, Halloween 2 is one of your favorite. I guess, um, you know, everyone likes to go to their Letterboxd uh, app and rank all their favorite horror movies or horror franchises. I guess, where does Halloween 2 rank for you? Really high. I mean, you know, there's the list of like, you know, like Halloween is 
I'm a huge fan of Halloween. So when I say I watch Halloween two more, it doesn't mean I think it's a better movie. It's just one that I, I mean, I love Halloween five and mm. people hate Halloween five. I'm like, Oh my God, it's gorgeous. People hate Tina. I love Tina. I'm like, I love that character. Yeah. She's a little annoying, but it's like, I just love her. She's great in it. And um, so, yeah, I mean like Halloween two is really high up. It's like one, two, H2O for sure. I love I can watch those three movies and kind of be done with <laughs> done with it. But five, um Halloween six isn't very high up there for me. I it's kind of I don't watch it a lot. Resurrection's kind of low on the list. So um although I went to that premiere, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> but I was just I mean, in regards to Halloween two, and I mean the Halloween franchise at large as well. I mean, where do you stand on the the retconning? Like, so say for example, Halloween two here, like part of the new gordon green um mm-hmm. david gordon green like trilogy like that 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 didn't happen it, it just picks up right from 1978 halloween uh, yeah. and all, all these other movies don't exist and i mean yeah. really probably the first one to do it was halloween h2o but i mean if you go into like all the the scripting and all the production there was going to be a one-liner which kind of linked them all together but then it was i believe it was steve minor that just didn't didn't want to do that or there was it could have yeah. been the, the the production company i'm not sure um and it just sort of like wiped that out. And I guess there's like a, a feeling amongst fans, like their own franchise saying, oh, these films, not that they don't matter, but the, um, well, I guess, yeah, they like, like the, they don't matter or these didn't happen, like kind of taking back, making them less than, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess, where do you sort of stand with that as a whole? Well, I mean, now you've got all these different storylines. I mean, um, I think in the Halloween franchise, it's expected now. But I think back when they did H2O, I thought it was really cool that they retconned. Well, three really had nothing to do, but four, five and six. And it was like, well, you could watch one, two, because they do treat two as though it happened. Yeah. So it's one, two and H2O. And I really liked that. I thought it was very inspired. Um, You know, once they made him his her, Lori's brother, um, it caused a lot of problems for the series, but it also, when they removed it for the Gordon Green movies, it felt a little bit like she was, in my opinion, way too traumatized 40 years later. Um, you know, he she only was in Michael's presence for about 10 minutes, five minutes, you mm-hmm. know. Um, he killed a couple of her friends, which is, I'm sure, traumatizing. Um but it felt like too big of a pill to swallow that it was like, well, how could she be this screwed up, you know, um, and and building, you know, booby traps in her house and like that moving, you know, uh, counter thingy island. In her, I'm like, where do you even get one of those? Um, you know, like, where do you get one of those those metal grates that shoot out, you know, like cages? And it just it felt so over the top. And in H2O, instead, you have. This woman who has gone on with her life has she's an alcoholic, but she's got problems. But she's smart about Michael returning. Why? Because he's her brother. And so I'm more of a fan. And and I always thought the retconning of the brother sister thing was a great idea. But then when I saw it, I went, you know what? I think I'm more of a fan of the brother sister connection, um, just because I love Halloween too so much. But it also it makes sense. Um, on some level in the way that the over traumatized Laurie Strode of the last three films really kind of was so melodramatic that I was like, huh, is it working? I don't know, but I love all the Halloween movies though. I'll watch all of them a hundred times. Oh, <laughs> so. and, and I think that's the thing with fans of Halloween. I think they're, you know, they're willing to 
suspend their disbelief when there's something that's retconned like you know they may not necessarily agree with it as you kind of said but they're more than willing to to go along for the ride yeah i mean halloween ends was uh, i avoided anything halloween ends i just was like i just want to go in it's gonna be the last halloween movie at least for a long time and i thought i don't want to know anything about it and then what i got i was like i remember turning and asking my husband who was with me i said where's Michael? <laughs> like, like what's going on? Like what the fuck is going on? And so I've seen the movie maybe 10 times since I put it on at night and everything. And I do find a lot in it that I really like. And so I, I've applauded. It's really doing something different. And I think it was trying to do that because it was mirroring Halloween three, because that had nothing to do with your re- previous movies. And so, yeah, I mean, there's something to like about all of them. Um, I'm glad the series is kind of on pause for now for a while. I'm kind of, I need a break from Michael Myers. So what you got to do is play the board game because <laughs> that, I mean, this game is a lot of fun and you really do feel like you're, you're in, like battling in the movie and the cards have, anyway, I'm, I'm not a good segue or sometimes. <laughs> no, it, I mean, my, my next segue was you speak about Halloween too, how it kind of got a bit problematic, I guess, from like making Laurie and Michael brother and sister and yeah. just sort of doing uh, research in regards to Halloween uh, to, I mean, John Carpenter wrote the script. He fully admitted that, you know, it was like a six pack of beer and, you know, ride yep. a block. But I mean, him speaking to, I believe it was uh, Cinema Showcase back in 1984. And this mm-hmm. is in regards to Halloween 2. I was really disappointed in it. He says, I don't think Rosenfall, obviously the director of Halloween 2, had a feel for the material. I think that's the problem. He didn't have a feeling for what was going on. Now, I think that's a bit harsh considering the man who's saying that wrote the script. And from all accounts, Rosenthal really, I, he probably tried to replicate certain things from the, the first one. And yeah. John Carpenter was the one that kind of went back in there and made it more gory, more blood mm-hmm. and, and all that. Um, like I, I don't know if that's still John Carpenter's um, take on Halloween 2 or with Rick Rosenthal, but I guess what's your take on that? Well, Carpenter called it an abomination. That was a quote unquote. I mean, that's that's yeah. the word he used. I don't know. Maybe it's just hurt feelings that, you know, he was uh, shoved into this situation where he had to write a second movie and just yeah. didn't want to do it. He was kicking and screaming and then Rick took it on and he had then he had to come and save the picture. I don't know. Um, does it matter? You know what I mean? Each movie is a, is an expression of the people making it, you know, at that time. And mm. You know, you can't deny Halloween too is uh, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. I mean, my, it's a different Michael. You get this very robotic <laughs> kind of kind of Michael um, that works for some, but doesn't work for others. And it's got a really great kill. You know, the hot tub that uh, jet tub scene is great. Um, you know, Loomis is awesome in it. And so I don't know. I mean, I, a Carpenter, I think he never ever considered making a sequel. I mean, think about it. All he does is, is this kid kills his sister. He breaks out. He comes home and follows this girl home, kills her friends. And that's it. You know, the boogeyman, what is that? He just gets up and walks away. And you're like, that's all Carpenter wanted to do was give you that as the boogeyman. That was it. Can you imagine what it must be like to be him to see all these movies and like, like, Oh my God, this it's one man with a knife. Why can't they kill him? You know, yep. it's just, it's, it's absurd, but of course we all kind of want more and more. And we, you know, the fans love them. I can't complain about them. I mean, I, I love them so much, but it, it, the fact that they've gone on as long as they have is kind of, 
it, it's it, it it works against the concept of what Carpenter was giving you is this little tiny suburban story of a boogeyman. I mean, I think, yeah, if you do take that sort of brother-sister thing out of it, I think, yeah, and the whole it being a massive franchise, I think it's very much on par with, you know, uh, John Carpenter's other films, like, that kind of had those really inconspicuous a- endings, you know, um, like Prince, yeah. the Prince of Darkness, so to speak. Um, and that's where, I've, I mean, as I've got older, when I'm when viewing movies or TV shows, I've been appreciating films that don't necessarily hold your hand and tell you what has happened. I kind, right. of, lo- I kind of like those... Um, well, I interpreted it two ways. It could mean this or could mean that. Um, do you think in horror, do you think we we get our hands held too much or we need we need to over explain certain things or it sort of really needs to be up to the eye of the beholder? Yeah, I think there's a lot of over explaining in horror movies. A lot. And, you know, like let's go back to Halloween. What happens at the end of Halloween? This guy falls off a balcony and gets up and walks away after being shot six times. All Carpenter does is just leave you with that thought. That's it. And it changes the ending from wait, what's, you know, like, Oh, he's stalking these kids to what's going on. Like what's really going on here. And he doesn't explain it. And I think that's the strength of the ending. And you know, what happens in Halloween 2? And I love the opening of Halloween 2, that Allie and Mrs. Elrod and the mustard and the mayo and the hay. I love all that stuff. And the first thing you hear, you know, Loomis screaming is, he's he's not human. I think they're establishing that now he's not just a man. You know, and, and even in the original Halloween, he says this isn't a man. And all this point, there's no reason for you to think that he's telling you anything that's meaningful. You, f- you think he's being melodramatic. Um, oh, he's, you know, whatever. But then when he gets up and walks away, you're like, wait, Loomis was Loomis was telling us this stuff throughout the movie. This isn't a man, you know. And so and then at the end of Halloween, too, they they burn him to the ground and like they tried to end it. And even that didn't stop him. And so Laurie says to Loomis right at the end after he's you know at the hospital and the, the big showdown happens, she says, why won't he die? And little things like that, I think, are very strong in the Halloween movies because nobody knows what they're dealing with. Nobody knows why he won't die. Nobody knows how, how does he crash through a door. You know, at the end of Halloween Kills, he, he's surrounded by a mob and then kills everyone, jumps up and then somehow teleports to the to the house, which I love. I love the ending of Halloween Kills. And Laurie is telling you, you can't pretend he's not there because he is. He's a boogeyman. I'm like, that's the stuff that makes the Halloween movies, I think fire on all cylinders um the the rune tattoo whenever it appears he appears all that stuff doesn't work because it's just explaining things that oh that's why michael is the boogie oh that's what it is all right <laughs> now the previous two stop the killer games i believe they generated a combined one hundred seventy-five thousand through crowdfunding now that sounds that's a that's a lot of cachet and that's a lot of things obviously there's licenses and things of that nature but what goes into creating these board games? Well, um, I'm a magician. I'm a professional magician. So in addition to the producing that I do, I, 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 magic is like uh, 7 to 8% of my life. But it's there. I perform at the Magic Castle and all that. Um, it's like a magic trick. You have to kind of work backwards and, and figure out, well, what do you want the experience? That, what do you want the ending to be? And then you kind of work backwards. And I do magic tricks that way. I, when I invent a trick, it's like, well, what do I want it to be? And it's in, and I, I, I compare the two magic tricks and board games because both are achieving the same thing, which is creating an ex- experience of like wonder and fun. 
uh, and mystery and all that kind of stuff. And so for me, it was a, a blast. And I, um, it actually came relatively easily for designing Silent Night, Deadly Night, because I thought, well, let's make it feel like the movie, you know? And so it was Billy with, with an X and it's like, okay, well, we're trying to stop Billy from getting to the orphanage and killing mother superior. And um, so kind of just started there. And then, uh, you know, I drew, I went to my computer in Photoshop. I drew a, a big rectangle and I drew a grid and I started thinking like, well, what would the board look like and what could we do and all of that. And so that's, it's a lot of work. Um, our we have another game coming that is a completely different it plays completely differently and we're having a hard time with it because it's it's not easy to design a board game i mean creating a t-shirt is great you give me an awesome graphic you put it on a t-shirt and you sell it a board game has all the components it's got rules it's got uh, you have to test it like crazy because if you don't play test it you won't find all the mistakes in it. And believe me, when people are playtesting, they tell you things like this sucks. This thing doesn't, isn't working or I don't understand this. And, uh, and so, but all of that is very helpful. So if you listen to your playtesters, your game gets better. And that's what we did. We kept testing it and testing it and testing. It. And each time we tested it, it got better. Little things like, you know, the, the save badge, um, should actually have a gold foil on it so that it looks more like a, a sheriff's badge or something um, like little things like that, you know? And so all the cards, every word, every word means something. And you just want to make sure everything's clear and no one's confused. And that's, that's the biggest um, challenge. And the other one is these games are, tip, are the, the games we've done so far are played on key holidays. So you don't on Christmas, Eve or Christmas morning, want to spend 45 minutes going through the instruction book, be like, how do you play this game again? You want to set it up and play in five minutes. So that was a main goal of mine as well. And the gameplay is short. You know, you can play, you can have a 10 minute game or a 20 minute game. And then that means you can play two or three games if you want. Uh, Valentine's Day, you know, you're probably with your love and, you know, you play that game and then you go watch a movie and you go to dinner. You know, it's not a three hour game. So we have parameters to work with and and so far people are loving them i mean you know I'm, i see pictures all on facebook and instagram and all of that and it's people playing their games on on valentine's day it was like i my heart was beating i'm like i love this so much because now it's out in the world you know and people are playing and having fun and it's it's making an impact you know us horror uh, fans, I mean, you know, it could be the same formula for most movies, which most horror kind of, especially the 80s slashes are. But oh, I guess yeah. how does Halloween 2, I guess, how does, how is it different between from the previous two board games that you've released? Well, the games play very similarly. And, you know, like you ever see Monopoly and it's like the Simpsons version, the Barbie version, the Office version. Well, what we do is we take the same gameplay and we rebrand it and we add little things on the board, uh, like there's a uh, on um, the hospital side of Halloween too. There's like a corridor that you can move through. You know, Michael can't move through it, but you can. You can get to the other side of the board quickly. All the cards are custom to the movie, and so we we have scenes from the movie on the cards. Um, you know, we have like Loomis saying "Circle the block again," and you know, we create. It's it's basically we want the games to play similarly in the Stop the Killer series. Um, so that people are familiar with the game. So if you like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and My Bloody Valentine, and they're part of your holiday traditions now, you'll pick up the Halloween one and play it sometime in Halloween, uh, you know, uh, in October with your friends, and it's familiar. Um, 
the next game in the series will play well the next game is playing similarly but we're having a whodunit angle with it and multiple killers in it so we're that game's going to be upgraded to have those things and so they change a little bit um i invented a card game for Candyman. um it's pro i'll show you the prototype um it's these hex hexagon shaped cards uh, and they have bees on them and everything. Um, and what you do is you place out, you place your, I have, this is the first time I've ever shown this. You place out your mirror tiles and you can start with one, two or three and you place them in the middle of the table and you start building a honeycomb. You look in the mirror and you start building a honeycomb around the mirror. And, um, as that's happening, the Candyman cards start showing up and you know, the, you know, the movie, right? It's like you say Candyman five times and he kills you. So the goal is to complete your honeycomb before Candyman shows up five times. And if you can do that, you win, but it's a solitaire game. Um, so that's a whole different uh, game that we're going to be releasing soon. Yeah, we just want to create just these games that are immersive and fun for slasher fans, you know? And now I see other companies starting to do this. And I'm like, I was on to something mm -hmm. there, but like, you know, there's a Texas Chainsaw game that's coming out. They Live, I just pledged uh, on the Kickstarter. They Live as a card game. I bought it because I'm like, I want to support those guys. And, and it's awesome that they did a card game based on They Live. So it's great. You know, we want it. We love these movies so much as fans that we just can't get enough. And 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 if the games are good, people will buy them. We can't. We we don't want to make crappy games. We want to make good, fun, retro kind of style games. So we're having a blast. And I guess that's a it's a, that's a good thing as well because I know um you know horror communities and I mean I'm a big uh, pro wrestling fan and I think um fans you know you know you know toxic uh, fandom that that does exist, but I, I feel like there's a big sort of fans uh the, the one thing i guess i don't realize about films and you may have sort of figured this out or um come across this when you were working for halloweenmovies.com but like th these are these films are made to to make money and sometimes you know that can be at the uh, behest i guess of actual the actual real fans of it and like oh why do they do this why do they do this well you know because they've got contracts and you know certain people don't want to sure. do certain things like stuff of that nature but i feel like with the board game like they can kind of play it and sort of you know play their own sort of um version of the movie if that makes sense absolutely you know and you you put yourself in in the movie so you know you pick your favorite character um i don't actually have the box right now i, I actually ha there's one halloween 2 game in existence and i i had the factory make it's called a digital sample and it's just like the, it's the first iteration of the game and then um it's got all the artwork and everything but i have some of the components here um you know there's like the, the rule book you know, Michael is, I'm trying to make it not glary, but he's walking through the door. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's it's basically how to play and the setup and all of that. We have, oh, one thing that's different in this game that it's not in the previous Stop the Killer games is the killers have a specific, uh, in the previous game, they have a specific path around the board. So the killer is following this very specific trajectory and you can go all over the board and you just want to land on a space and stop him from getting to where he's going. Um, and in uh, in the Halloween 2 game, you get three different levels. So you get like one, level one, level two, level three. Um, so there are different paths that Michael will be following. Um, so that's new to this game. Uh, we have 14 characters. If all the stretch goals are met, you can pick, you know, name anyone in Halloween 2. There's a character <laughs> for it. And the artist, uh, his name is Yannick Bouchard. 
he did all of the cards and game pieces and they are amazing like my head exploded. I saw this artwork and he was fast. And all of a sudden, like in two weeks, we had all the characters done. And I'm like, people are going to flip out. It's like so much fun. It's beautiful. Uh, and Justin Osborne did what we call the kill zones, which are sections on the board that are relevant to gameplay. But there's Michael doing his thing. He's killing people. Um, one of the ones that I'm really excited about is, you know, the scene in Halloween 2 where the knife is standing in the table and it says Sam Hain on the board. Um, and Michael is like, sister, you know, it's a Celtic word and all that. Well, you never see Michael's in my head. I was like, I wanted to always see Michael slam the knife down, you know, on, on this piece of paper. Well, so we have a kill zone where that's the action that's happening. And so you're getting a scene that is in the movie, but you don't see it, but like we're serving up a really immersive, fun experience that fans will just like study the board and be like, this is amazing. And uh, the little weapons, the little scalpel and the hammer and all that stuff. Like we're, we're really trying to make it fun. I mean, one thing that, that is clear is everyone making these games is, is loves slasher movies. Um, and Universal has been, they own the property. We've had to send them every little thing, every card, every, you know, they scrutinize every word and they're, they're loving it. They were like, this looks like so much fun. You're like everyone in the office was like, how do you play it? You know? And it's just been great the buzz is starting you know and the kickstarter is launching june 1st and i haven't told anybody that yet because i was like are we really going to launch on june 1st we were um but we're on track to do that my next thing was going to be when's the kickstarter start so um yeah. we say roughly around june so i mean uh, you know, unless i guess something happens is would anything delay that or do you think june 1st will no june 1st a... is yeah reasonable where we are now i think we're re very ready and you know we didn't we don't we want to just make sure the artwork is finalized and so that when we, we, we create the kickstarter and we show you the characters and the cards and all that that there's nothing in it that hasn't been approved you know um, one thing we did, which I'm very excited about, is my very good friend, Matt Russell, um, said to me one day, he's like, you guys need like a trailer, like a real trailer for your Kickstarter. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, why don't we create a scene that feasibly could have been in Halloween too? Like Michael goes to the hospital, but you don't know if he's killed other people in there before he's killed Mr. Garrett and all those people. So he wrote uh, a scene and we filmed it three weeks ago and we've been editing for three weeks, this seven minute scene that was all approved by Universal. And Michael looks great. And Michael looks like he looks like in the movie and I can't wait for people to see this, but um, I want to tell you what the premise is, but the board game makes an appearance and it's just really fun. And I think fans are going to be like, oh my God. I can't believe they did this. And so that, we want that to be kind of like a surprise. So that when people go into the Kickstarter, like we have a couple of uh, teaser trailers. We've cut footage from all this footage we got is like 20 second, 30 second spots. But when they go to the Kickstarter, they're going to click on that button and they're going to be treated to like a seven minute <laughs> scene from Halloween too. That's just going to be so fun. So from the get go, we just want to show everybody, you know, we're, we're hugging this movie so much because we all love it so much. Uh, yeah, it was great. So June first, uh, with the Kickstarter will start, and uh, I was going to say, allow me to uh, be the first to donate. Uh, I think twenty Australian dollars. I think that uh, looking at conversion rates, that's roughly about fourteen dollars American. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, yeah, and obviously once. So I mean, that's going to be the big. Um, I guess the big unveiling June first is that video where people yeah. view that, and then they can go donate, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 
I'm going to try and show as much information about the game as possible. I mean, we don't want to reveal all the cards and, you know, like <laughs> we... <laughs> We designed a card that's the mustard and mayo card. And so if you pull that card, it says, look to look at another player and say to them, just think about mustard or mayonnaise. <laughs> so like if I were to say to you, like, think of mustard or mayo, you would pick one. And then if I go, okay, I'll guess. And if I ask him mayo and you're like, I was thinking about mustard. Michael advances a space on the board because we were wrong and he's getting close to his destination. If I say mustard and you are thinking mustard, we move him back a space. And it's just fun stuff like that where... You're just like the only game you could have a mustard and mayo card is in Halloween too, you know. So that's the level of nerdness <laughs> that we're that we're bringing to the game. And I know one big thing that you're trying to promote at Stop the Killer on the website is to subscribe to the newsletter, correct? Well, yeah, it's it's our mailing list. Um, the thing about our games is you can only get them through the Kickstarter. And other like rare, you know, like rare, like for instance, I'm going to Midsummer Scream. It's a convention in Long Beach at the end of July. We're bringing games to sell because we do have some extra inventory, but we don't put them on the site for you, for you to buy. So yeah, if we do a convention, we'll have some games. Um, we were thinking of doing like a flash sale in the middle of the summer to kind of just sell off some games, um, but they go up in price. And so every time they're made available for sale, they go up in price. And you, you know, and so you want to get them, the best price is through the Kickstarter and you just want to be in as, on day one um, and you'll get access to things that you can't get access to later. Like in my bloody Valentine, there were enamel pins and autographed posters and things like that. And you only place to get them is the Kickstarter. So the mailing list is key to being alerted to when the Kickstarter is launched. So you know, if you just sign over the mailing list, you don't have to worry about not knowing what our next game is or missing. I mean, so many people say, I missed Silent Night, Deadly Night. I missed my bloody Valentine. Well, the mailing list will just will just let you know uh, when when the campaigns are live and then you can go pledge. So when we don't bother you, you know, I hate getting an email every single day from, you know, like we'll just send out one one every couple weeks kind of a thing. And we don't even do that now. We're, we're so non- demanding <laughs> of our customers time so well we also have cool products like this which is the my bloody valentine novel which my friend armando muñoz wrote um and so we were you know we did my bloody valentine game and so i said to the licensor and george mahalka who directed that film i said have you guys thought about doing a novel and my friend armando has written some incredible horror novels and uh, it just kind of happened like that and then you know uh we have our another um, book coming out based on silent night deadly night and that's armando's writing that one right now and i've read a, about a third of the book it's amazing um and so if you're on the mailing list you'll just you'll get to know about our our products um and not miss out on anything because the books are also limited edition and we don't have them on amazon you you know right now it's sold out you, you can't get it if you go to ebay you can get it for five times the cost <laughs> so the mailing list just keep you keeps you updated and plugged in you mentioned there the midsummer scream uh, in july at long beach um that's where some fans are going to be able to buy these um games um uh, but i believe that's where you've kind of been skirting around um the next project as well um the next board game is that where that's officially going to be announced yes so right now um, we're about to we're about a week and a half away from finalizing this deal with this other licensor so i can't say anything now but that's where we want to sort of unveil the next game so and and by that time the Halloween 2 campaign will have ended 
And um, we may have some, you know, sample game Halloween two games there just to kind of show everybody. You can pick up Silent Night, Deadly Night. You can pick up My Bloody Valentine. Armando will be there um, autographing My Bloody Valentine books, and we'll be taking pre-sales for Silent Night, Deadly Night. You know, Scott and Dennis are the uh, they're the co-executive producers of the original Silent Night, Deadly Night. They're going to be there autographing games. So it's gonna it's only a couple days, but there's a lot going to be going on in the booth. So yeah, so we're going to unveil the, or announce the next game at uh, Midsummer Scream. Now, I'm just going to I'm just going to throw some names out there. You don't have to answer or say anything. I'm just going to see if I can judge your face. Now, <laughs> I don't believe it's going to be a Friday the 13th one because that's just riddled with uh um yeah so i mean i i mean this is just me just being a fan i reckon it will friday the 13th that's uh got so much legal legalities uh attached with it. i thought that, that you'd you'd steer clear from that but this is just me personally I, I was just thinking of horror movies that could potentially um translate as a board game and one one i thought of was terror train because again it's similar to halloween there's different compartments and you know different the the killer dresses up as different characters which could yeah. be a, an added thing to it so that was my little guess terror train is it well, it's so funny <laughs> you say that. Um, that was a game that I had my sights set on, and I made contact with the licensor, which was not easy. Right. <laughs> I challenge everyone, try to find out who owns the rights to Terra Train. Yeah. It'll take you a long time. Um, but I found them and we're talking. So I don't ha- I didn't I haven't uh, that's not the next game, but I definitely want to do Terra Train. And I had this idea where you and your friends build a train car. You know, you build either the restaurant or the magic where David Copperfield is. It was another reason why I love this movie so much. Um, but you build like the, what is it? The theater yeah. or the sleeping quarters or whatever. Uh, and you build, it's like a card game where you're building this thing and then you have to kind of survive and not be killed by by a, a, this killer that's changing mass and stuff like that. Um, but I have a prototype that I have started um, but you know, it goes back to your question. Like, what does it take to, to create a game? You don't just create a game. It, ta- it can take a year. I mean, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Silent Night happened fast, you know, but this other game I'm trying to design for another property is just, it's going to take a long time because it, they're not easy. They're just not easy. And that's the beauty of it. Once you build it and it works, suddenly it's like amazing. Cause it's like, Oh, somebody actually built this and spent, you know, 600 hours you know, of their life, you know, designing cards and stuff like that. So, but I love that stuff. I love it. I believe um, earlier in the interview, you said franchise. So it's, you. I'm guessing you can say that it is a well-established franchi- uh, franchise that the new board game. Will oh, be. yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll leave it at that uh, before I, I start poking too much. Now, I want to take you back in time, uh, Anthony, because I was uh, amazed to find out that uh, you uh, worked with uh, Trankus. But um, let's go back to about 2000 or 2001. My family just got dial-up internet. One of the first things I typed into my big pond search engine was Halloween. I stumbled across a little website called uh, HalloweenMovies.com where 12-year-old Joel was very excited to find out there's going to be a new Halloween movie in the works, originally titled Halloween Homecoming. Yep. Uh, But I guess that would be the future uh, Halloween uh, resurrection. Now, I believe from 2003, you were working with Trankus International where you were the webmaster for HalloweenMovies.com. Now, is that that a freelancer? I mean, how did that come about? Well, I produced the first 
a Halloween convention. So it was called Halloween Returns to Haddonfield. It was a 25th anniversary reunion anniversary for the movie. And it, for the first time, brought together all the actors, um, you know, as many producers, crew, all that, um, from all the Halloween movies. And uh, up until then, there had been eight. And so we brought everyone together and um, rented out the Pasadena Convention Center, booked up all the hotels. And, and uh, so that was... That was my baby. And um, they've been doing them every five years after that. And the 45th one is coming this year. And for the first two, um, Nalik Akkad, who I worked for, um, asked me, hey, you did the 25th. You know, you want to do the 30th? And I was and I just said, no, I was like, so it took a year of my life. I had a blast and I just thought nothing would ever top it. You know, I mean, it was every time someone said, yes, I'll be there. And we updated this. Like it was this magical thing that kept getting bigger and bigger. And I thought it's just no way going to anything that we do later. It's not going to match the magic of that. And I was also getting very busy with my other producing stuff. And so someone else is doing them now. And I go to them. And they're fun. And I'm, I plan on going, you know, to be there this year, just to walk around and say, I mean, I'm friends with PJ and, you know, I get to like walk around and say hi to everybody. But, uh, but so when I, so when I started organizing the convention, I was not the webmaster of Halloween movies. This, these guys, uh, Bruce and Brian were Brian Martin and Bruce Deerbeck, and they stepped down. They just had had their fill and said, Oh, we, we want to step away. And they recommended me because I had the Myers Museum, which was MyersMuseum.com, that was my fan site. And I curated a big fan base and I was a total guru. And so they recommended me right at the time that we were I was setting up this convention. And that's how it happened. I went and met with them. I walked, I went to Mustafa's office and walked in and I was gobsmacked when, you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm here, you know, Mustafa God's office. And they looked at my website and I remember Malik said, you're perfect. You're hired. And I went, awesome. And, and, and Mustafa said to me in his wonderful accent, you know, he was like, what is it that makes the Halloween movies so incredible? Like that, what is it about that makes, that, that makes them incredible? Makes the fans go crazy. Like, what is the magic ingredient? I said, I have no idea. I said, but I know how to keep them engaged. So I'm like, that's what you need me for, for the website. But I said, I think it's the question we all don't know the answer to. I mean, some people say, oh, it's the mask. Some people say, it's, you know, who knows what it is? It's just magic in a bottle. And um, so they needed someone to, you know, run their site. And I was running Myers Museum. And so I shut that site down and I went and worked for them for seven years. And that's when I did the Halloween 25th anniversary DVD. I produced commentaries for parts four and five. I was on a commentary with Alan McElroy on the part four. Um, I did bonus features for them. I did a 50, I directed a 15 minute promo that went in theaters when they re-released Halloween in 2006. So I did a lot of work for them and it was great. I was at the office frequently. I didn't work out of the office, but I was there a lot. Um, I heard secrets here and there and, um, you know, it was great. It was just a really wonderful time. I worked there for seven years as part-time. It wasn't a full-time gig. It was a part-time thing. And I was doing other stuff for my producing during that whole time. And I, I had a note here said like, you know, understandably it's a job and, you know, you you want to be professional, but like you kind of alluded to it. Was it kind of like a kid in a candy store type of uh, situation? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I was in, uh, Malik said something about a storage room and I'm like, you have a storage room? He's like, yeah. And he brings me down there with this other guy. I forgot his name that worked there. And I'm standing in the storage room and I'm looking at boxes all around me that say, I mean, little, this isn't a huge storage room. And it said Halloween. And I saw reels and I was like, Oh my God, what's in these boxes? Like, I just literally was like, 
please tell me I can rummage through these boxes. And they didn't let me, but I was standing there and I'm like, what the hell? I went to the office one day and Mustafa said, oh, you, uh, Busta Rhymes was in the office the day before. And this is after um, Resurrection. And he said they're thinking of the next movie and they want to bring Freddie back. And and he said that Busta wasn't uh, happy with his performance in the movie. And they were talking about an idea to kind of get him back on board and everything. And then, you know, but uh, I, mean, I just happened to hear that because I went to the office. I would never have known that otherwise. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but it's neat to know that there was this conversation going on when uh, Freddie versus Jason came out. Mustafa called me, called me and I, and called me on my phone. And I was like, Holy, the man never called me. And I'm like, what's wrong. And he said, I was just on the phone with dimension. And he said, um, they want to pit Michael against pinhead. And I feel like that's the worst thing to do. And I want to prove them wrong. Can you put a poll up on the website and ask the fans? And I did that night. And I was surprised that it went like 60, 40. Like most people were like, I thought it was going to be like 95% no, but no, there was actually interest in that idea. But I remember he leaned on me to kind of help him show dimension. That was the wrong way to go. So it was fun. I felt like I had a front row seat to all things Halloween there for a while. Um, I remember learning about Rob Zombie coming back and feeling like I know something nobody knows. Like I just, you know, just by invariably you're there and you get, you hear things, um, so it was a lot of fun. I loved it. I And I just am so happy that I was given this opportunity. I mean, uh, if you're at liberty to to discuss, is there any kind of other things? I mean, it's, I mean, most things are out there either on the internet or like, say, for example, I know um, Dustin McNeil and Travis Mullins, they did you know, uh, Taking Shape and Taking Shape 2, which is all about sequels that didn't happen. And you, me- you mentioned Buster Rhymes there that was potentially the next film is there anything that you haven't seen sort of reported on or you know murmurs about or rumors that um hasn't got to any publication or anything or it's all pretty much out there now well i'm sure there's stuff that i i mean i'm i'm just digging around in my head of like um i, I can't right right now i can't i can't recall anything there was something i wrote the forward to one of those books and there was something that they pulled because they said, oh, we don't know if we want people to know that. Um, but I'm happy to tell you. Um, and I don't mean to, it's about Deborah Hill. And I I love Deborah Hill. I don't mean to slander her name or anything like that. But I think I caught her, I called her office to invite her to my Halloween convention. And I purposely called after five o'clock on a Friday because I wanted to leave a message. I didn't want to get her on the phone. Uh, I had mailed her um, a framed, uh, it's actually right there's on the back of wall here. There's like a silvery frame like right here. It's the Halloween convention poster. And it was a silver, silver version. It was like, we only had like 50 made or whatever. And I sent her one and, you know, I was like, I framed it, wrapped it in silver paper. And it was like, please come to our event. And uh, Cause I hadn't heard, right. You know, I was getting responses from people saying, yes, I will come there. And all the nurses from Halloween too were like, yes, I'll be there. And so I called because I was like, well, I don't want to talk to her. And it's really, I just want to leave a message to prod her a little like, Hey, get back to me. So I called at like five 30 and she answered. <laughs> she was like, she was like Deborah Hill production. I said, Oh, uh, can I speak to Deborah? And she's like, this is Deborah. I'm like, <laughs> and I immediately went into, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to Deborah Hill. But I kept my cool and I told her who I was and she got very upset. And she said, um, 
stop hounding me. And I'm like, oh my God, I've not hounded you. I mailed you one letter and sent you something. Like that's not hounding. Like, and I'm the nicest person. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm trust me, I'm not going to cause you any problems. I just was like, we'd really love you there. And if you come, we'll sell more tickets and all the money is going to a children's hospital. And that's the truth. All the money went to a children's hospital. So here I was thinking like, oh, of course she's going to say yes. This is and instead she went into this thing about you know, Mustafa has been ripping me and John off for years. And I was like, like, what? Like, I didn't know any of them. <laughs> and one of the things, Joel, that I have to say, like, when I started the convention, I thought everybody in Halloween got along. Like, I thought all the producers got along. All everyone was, I wasn't in the business. I wasn't in the Hollywood. I wasn't a producer yet. And I thought everything was just amazing and wonderful. And well, no, I, you find out things like this. And so she, I said, please you know it would be great if you could be she's like i'll have to think about it and then she kind of hung up and i thought you know i just caught her at a bad time mm. and i ruffled her feathers unintentionally um but i have heard she's a lovely person and of course she's amazing and you know she wrote halloween and you know um, but i i didn't take it personally i just was stuck in the middle of a like a tornado that i didn't see coming you yeah. know and so I put all that in that in the forward and Travis and Dustin said, maybe we'll take that part out. It's a little, you know, we don't want to, you know, make people think negatively about Deborah, but, and that's not my goal here either. But those are the things, you know, when you think, when you put together an event like that, like they're not easy. People are like, you know, it takes a year out of your life. And when someone says, no, I'm not coming to your event, you know, it's like, holy, oh no, who, when she said no, I thought no one's going to come. No one's going to come because Deborah Hill said no. Oh, that was the thing. Oh, my God. You, that's what triggered the Mustafa thing. I told her, Mustafa Kad's coming, thinking that, of course, she'll say it. And instead, that was like the worst thing to have said. So, yeah, that was my experience with Deborah Hill. <laughs> and it goes back to what I was sort of saying earlier with, like, with fans. We have such, I guess, rose colored glasses i think the term is in regards to again we don't realize that this is it's show business not show friends and you know you, you kind of <laughs> assuming that everyone's friends and everyone gets along i mean yeah. you, you've probably had job roles where and i have as well where you've had to work delicately around certain people that you you don't quite gel with or you, you don't like the way that they go about things and yeah and and you, i mean that's that's life right so it's it's yeah. it's kind of funny that you're like oh yeah everyone everyone gets along and loves each other obviously not the case and the you know um research sort of i think for halloween h2o um john carpenter was asking for 10 million dollars i i don't know that if, if that was a real claim or if you know it's i, I kind of feel just from a, an outsider's perspective i think john carpenter has a very dry sense of humor i don't know if he's <laughs> yeah 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 give me ten dollars and I'll, uh, ten, give me ten million dollars and i'll do it um right but, yeah but i guess it kind of does that up to like um Erwin Yablons and um John Carpenter obviously like wanted to write the second film or you know like he didn't want to do it and and you kind of like you said <laughs> got in the middle of that not knowing right yeah you know you mentioned Erwin Yablons I mean I don't think I've ever said this so you have to understand I've never done a convention before. This idea to do a 20th anniversary convention was like a discussion with a friend and we started putting out feelers and I was jumping in the deep end without any experience. I didn't know how to invite people. I didn't know anything about anything. Well, you know, there we are a year later with this event. And so I was moderating the producer panel. So it was Mustafa Akkad and Erwin Yablons. So I come out on stage. I'm sitting. If you if you have the H25 DVD, you, you can see this. 
in the and I don't think people are knowing what's going on, but I'm on stage in the middle of them. And I, I just, I was not a good moderator. I'm a good moderator now, but back then I just said, I just started off with, let's open it up with questions. Like I figured the fans want, this is the first time Mustafa's in front of his fans and why do you want to hear me talk? So I just said, let's open it up for questions. Well, nobody was <laughs> asking Erwin any questions. They were all asking Mustafa questions. And you see this on the DVD. He Erwin leans over and whispers something to me. And what he was saying to me was horrific. He said, you don't know what you're doing. That's what he said to me. You don't know what you're doing. He said, if you don't get me talking in the next 30 seconds, I'm getting up and leaving. Wow. That's exactly what he said. And oh my God, all these years later, I get to finally tell someone. And I'm shitting because I'm like, oh my God, this is not happening right now. Like, um, So after Mustafa finished, I said, does anyone have any questions for Erwin? <laughs> you know, and, and someone asked him and a question and I, I might've said, how did you get involved with Halloween? And I don't know, but like, you know, I was thrown in uh, situations here and there where I'm like, oh my God, like, I didn't want to offend Erwin. I love Erwin. Like, it wasn't my intention. Yeah. And by the way, Joe Wolf, I don't know if you know Joe Wolf is. He was in, a, he's a producer on Halloween. He was not there on the producer panel because during, we, when we were putting the convention together, Joe and Mustafa had a lawsuit, very public lawsuit where Irwin, uh, Mustafa was suing Joe for something because they they were partners in Compass International. So it was, uh, I think, Car I'm Carpenter, Mustafa, uh, Mustafa, Joe, and Irwin. I think they own Compass. And they had a legal battle. And I was being, I, I didn't know until the day before if Mustafa was coming to the event because the secretary kept saying to me, um, he might have to go to court on the day of your event and luckily he didn't and he was there but the stipulation was don't put me on stage with joe so we had a separate panel just for him but again if i had known all of this i wouldn't have done it i would have been like how am i going to pull this off with everyone not you know these hard feelings left and right so but maybe it, on in hindsight and obviously this is true like you going in not knowing was probably the best way to go about it because if you did you'd be like <laughs> oh i'm not going to bother contacting this person and then it wouldn't have become what it eventually became oh absolutely i mean in everything that i get involved with like the less i know the better because the, you know if someone had said to me you do realize that you know uh you know for whatever was a bad thing that would have deterred me like mustafa doesn't get along with so and so and deborah doesn't get along you know i would have just been like yeah it's then you that's the reason to not do it right so i have found that if i'm more naive i can go in and navigate those things if if they're there later and i i have found my naiveness on a subject to be an asset uh, with documentary producing, all that stuff. And then then the documentary came because I did the convention, we filmed it, and then the idea to do a documentary came. I didn't know how to put a documentary together. I didn't know what a color correction stage was. I didn't know that films went through. I mean, I guess I knew generally, but that there was a whole color grading. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> like, I didn't know anything. <laughs> and so the less I knew, the better, because I learned and I did what I had to do. I didn't know about insurance how long it took to edit something, how hard it was to get an interviewee in a chair, all those things. So, uh, so yeah. So those two things were like my complete, I have no idea what I'm getting into, but I'm having so much freaking fun. I'll do it for free. I don't say that anymore, but <laughs> I, those were my like film school years, you know, 
most people went to film school. I didn't. I, I made a documentary and did a convention and figured it out. So <laughs> in Trankis International, I mean, you, you're you're freelancing. It's part time. But is there does it feel was it like you were part of a family? Did it did it have that vibe? Yeah, absolutely. When I, yeah, when I go to the office, like I would say, hey, Mustafa, how are you doing? He'd be like, oh, Tony, you know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, we would, how was your weekend? And, you know, yeah, I mean, I wasn't there all the time, but I was there, I say like frequently. I mean, I had to go there for lots of reasons. Um, Malik was out of the office for a little while and I, and I kept going there. Um, I think we shot some interviews for 25 years of terror that we didn't get at the convention and Jody Lynn O'Keefe, uh, somebody from Anchor Bay, Mark Ward, who bought who bought the DVD, uh, a couple of oh Nancy Nancy Loomis, Nancy Kais. Um, I could not find her for the convention. It was like, where is this woman? Well, we found her after we did the convention, and she came there, and I said to her, "Where have you been?" Like she's like, "I didn't know the fan base was there." I'm like, "Come on, you had to have known." She's like, "I didn't know," and she was an artist, and she was out doing art, and she's like, "I literally had no idea." So she came by. Um, yeah, it was. It was like a little family thing. You know, I went to Mustafa's memorial service. I helped organize one of them. And so, yeah, for those reasons, I felt like for that seven years, like I was part of part of the team. And it it felt great. It was like like I hopped the fence and I was like I was in for for a little while. And it's great. I mean, I don't talk to Malik much anymore, but when we talk, it's great. I mean, there were no hard feelings or, you know, it was just like my time kind of ended and. I just, you know, Malik's like, should we have someone else run the site? I'm like, yes. And, you know, but, but it was all great. Really, really great. I can't, I, I don't think there was a time when I felt unwelcome at all. And uh, yeah, it was great. Malik's great. Um, they had a receptionist there that I got along with. We go to lunch all the time. So yeah, a blast. You mentioned uh, Mustafa um, passing away. I believe that was in uh, 2005. Um, do you think, like, just from a like a franchise or company standpoint, do you think did the company change much after? In in your opinion, do you think, or like, say, like you know, like in regards to new films happening or anything like that? Like, did it? Did it? I don't want to seem like it didn't seem the same. Like you know, because he was the the figurehead, right? You know, and such a big personality and a big person there. Um, like, I'd imagine like it, it would have been so odd like him not being there yeah i mean i it was so premature i mean you know malik i think was uh was being brought in like most of us said when i when i met him to to for the the webmaster job he said my son is running the movies now like at that point it was malik had was driving that process um so i think he had already figured well you know, Malik is more plugged in than I am and that's where the company's going to go. But I don't think anyone thought it was going to be as quick as it did. I mean, yeah. that was a shock. That was a horrible nightmarish thing to happen so soon. But no, I mean, it's, you know, they kept making Halloween. Like, I, I think Malik made a movie called Made in, Bro- Made in Brooklyn. I think that's what it was. It was a comedy. And so they did make another movie. I went to that premiere. Uh, there was like a, not a screwball comedy, but it was this all out comedy, you know. Um, but yeah, I think they're just, they knew their bread and butter was Halloween. And another thing I realized when I, when I started working there was Halloween was not the cash cow that we all thought it was like, it really wasn't. I mean, they were selling DVDs, Anchor Bay was putting DVDs out, but if you compare what Halloween is doing now, even like with merchandising back then, like I get all excited when I see like, uh, Fright Rags does these really great, like figurines of like, um, 
the characters they're they're doing three more of them whatever and my friends and i was like i have to get these and he's like i'm like why is a grown man like me so crazy about these little figures like what's wrong with me and my friends my friend nate said to me because you didn't have them when you were a kid like that's why you love them and i went oh my god you're totally right and so now it's raking in all this money but i remember back then going you know it's really not you know really not me and they had the same deals with like a and e you know they owned one four and five so trancus was able to cash in on those but like there was never any halloween 2 stuff and like um and right now like with halloween 2 universal said you can't have anything in it that's halloween one like don't say anything about lester uh, you know like and so there's this big effort to be like well that's their michael myers you know halloween two so we made sure our michael had the scalpel and the bullet holes and the the collar was flipped up in the trailer and like you know it's very much like halloween two is universals but one four and five that's that's where they were making their money and i think h2o was their big start their big comeback and that did make money so um but did it change? I don't know. I mean, I think Mustafa would have done anything Malik said at that point. So probably unless he wanted the series to continue from part six, well, from H2O. I don't know. Well, that was the split. But yeah, maybe, maybe Mustafa would have had a little more say in it, but, but Malik was running it. I recently spoke to Halloween 6 writer Daniel Ferenc. Um, I believe he was he a contributor to Halloween uh, HalloweenMovies.com or he was just someone that you, was in, I guess, um, you were in contact with? Uh, he was not a contributor no. uh, to the website. But yeah, but I, I invited, he was one of the first people I invited to uh, the Halloween convention. Uh, I was at a Fangoria convention in the same uh, space we held the Halloween convention and I, I met him and I met Pamela Shoup and a couple months later, I emailed them each and said, hey, if I did a Halloween-themed convention, would you come? And they both said yes. And I thought, that's a good sign. Like, if, you know, that's a good sign. But I remember meeting them, and they were both wonderful, so nice. And, um, you know, and I asked Dan, you know, like, what was it like writing lines for Dr. Lumet, like Donald Pleasance? He's like, oh, it's the greatest feeling ever to hear him say, you know, you know, this house is sacred to him, like, the lines that, you know, he wrote. And I was just so fascinated. I was a fan, you know, like I, I, I didn't, didn't work in the business. I had a whole other career before I did stuff like that, did my producing and everything. So I was talking to them like fans. And it was great. It was great. I'm hoping that you have a bit of insights and background and can help with this one. And I only found out, so I went on the the Wayback Machine where you can sort of see screenshots of old websites. <laughs> I love Wayback Machine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I came across the the H9 winner and I came across the name Heather Bowen and she was the winner of the H9 contest, which uh, I believe uh, uh, fans yeah. were encouraged to do like a five-minute audition or just explain who they are and why they love the Halloween uh, movies. And this particular thing was you'd be an extra in the next Halloween, which was just oh, called yeah. H9, I believe, at the time. Yes. Now, yes. the announcement appeared in your Halloween 25 years of horror film and obviously at the convention. Um, some fans have said that uh, potentially it was this competition rigged. Uh, and obviously people remember Heather Bowen because she's actually in the Halloween 25 years of terror, uh, flashing her breasts, saying, say anything you like. 
Is there any story behind it, how that came about, or do you know have any? What her flashing or the rigged? <laughs> well, you know, well, quote unquote. Well, both. Well, both. Was it rigged? And well, here's the thing about Heather. She she's a lovely person. I honestly don't know how she she was a volunteer at the event. So everyone working there had these orange shirts that said convention crew on the back, and 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 she was a crew member. And uh, so no, it wasn't rigged. I don't understand why people say that because. The drawing is actually on the video. I and I managed the whole thing. It was a little like pumpkin, and I put all the names of the people in there. And Mustafa reached in and pulled out a name. And there was to think it was rigged is like, why would I rig it? Like, why would I like anyone in the in it could have been would have been just fine. So I don't know why people say that. And I left the bucket there. So if anybody and I put it, and I think I even said like it's right there. So unless Mustafa had a paper in his hand that he was hiding, like, I don't, I, I find that ridiculous. And they did film it. And um, she was a waitress on in the rabbit and red uh, a set for, for Rob Zombie's Halloween. I remember getting a call from, I don't know, somebody on the film that said, I'm calling you because of Heather Bowen. Who is she? And why do I need, why do we need to put her in my, in our Rob's movie? And I said, well, Mustafa wouldn't have wanted that because he pulled the name out and he, this is, he said, you know, um, and they, so I gave him Heather's number and they called her and I, I heard they filmed it. I've never seen it, but she was just in the background, like as a waitress there. And I thought, well, that's great casting. Cause she looked like, you know, the blonde, short, bubbly, you know, like, like, of course she looks like she'd work a, in a place like that. And Heather would probably tell you that. But yeah, it was just great. And, you know, and uh, here's a quick story for you. I put my home address on the Halloween movies website. It was a giant mistake because I said, if you want to be, <laughs> if you want to submit a video to be in this movie, um, do so. And I gave my home address and there was a midnight cutoff on like, you know, September 10th or something. I don't know. And I'm at home and I'm sleeping and I hear someone banging on my door at midnight. And I was like, who the hell is outside what the hell is going on? And it took, and I looked outside and, and I saw them holding a tape and I went, Oh my God, they're submitting a tape. So they left the tape. I didn't do anything. I left the tape. They they left the tape and um, but they came to my house, but that was me being dumb. I'm like, why would I put my home address? I was, wasn't thinking. <laughs> but, but yeah. So. And, Cause I mean, with uh, Heather Bowen, there was uh, reports that like she was a reporter at front of the Myers house, but that got cut, but she was actually uh, at the, at, a, at the cafe uh, or as a, as, as yeah. Well, when I spoke to Heather, she had called me. She had called me because that scene in in which it's about fla the flashing, she said was causing her some problems. Yeah. Right. And I said I completely understand that, and 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 just letting you know that I was against that. I didn't want to put that in in. It. I I was against it. I thought, why would we do that? You know. But our director, and it was not just me. It was everybody. There was a couple of people. Uh, they felt it should have stayed in. And so I felt bad when she said that to me, you know, uh, and like th those kinds of things I don't want to be a part of, but I have to own it because it's in my documentary. So, you know, I try to avoid things like that and other projects of mine, you know, she was doing it because it was fun and they were laughing. I wasn't even there, but it, they were having a blast and, you know, I, I got an email from a parent, a very angry parent saying, oh, my God, I look over and I see this naked woman on my TV and, you know, my, my eight year old son. I'm like, come on. If they've seen Halloween, they've seen PJ. <laughs> like, I just felt like, you know, like, really? So I don't know.
There's two ways to think about it. But she yeah. told me that they filmed it. So it did feel a little bit out of place, didn't it? In in that documentary, it's it like, did. Oh, it was just like, oh, because because I, I I found it online. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And when we watched it, I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. Then, but um, <laughs> yeah, I thought you might have had a bit more of an idea or what was the the story behind it. But obviously, that that that's it. Yeah. But I guess um as well um the Halloween, the Shape of Horror, that was kind of like a bit of another documentary that was done for the 25th anniversary of Halloween, or that was being re-released in uh, theater. Yeah, they were re-releasing Halloween in 2006. And so Malik called me and said, can you uh, produce and direct a 15-minute thing? Because um, the company doing those, they like to you know bring added value. So you come see the movie, but you get treated to this 15-minute intro. And so we filmed that. That was a lot of fun. It was really fun to see it on a big screen, you know. I don't see my stuff on, on movie screens. <laughs> you know, it's always like TV and everything. So it was really neat to see that. Really fun. And before we wrap up, because you've been very generous with your time, where to now for the Halloween franchise? I know you said earlier it's good to have a little bit of a break. Um, where do you see the franchise going? Is it going to be a reboot? Do we get a new version of Michael Myers? Do we kind of go all balls to the wall with an anthology type of thing that Halloween 3 was trying to, I guess, yeah. create? In your opinion, what do you see happening or not happening? Well, um, I think if they're going to do, uh, if they're going to bring back the franchise, they should probably do it as a TV series. I think they work really well. Um, you could build a m mythology around this boogeyman. Yeah, I, I, I hope they don't make another Halloween movie for a long time, because and if they do, it's. I mean, I just. I have such strong feelings about, you know, uh, like John Carpenter, his idea was so simple and I think they've veered from simple. And so unless somebody has just wants to like do an exercise in style and like what Carpenter's movie was, it was, you know, an exercise in, in style. Um, that's what I think the next movie should be something simple. Like why can't they pick it up where he leaves, you know, walks like walk, leaves the lawn and kills a few people and like that's that's your sequel you know it's like he's still out there on halloween night and he got up and walked away maybe that could be a sequel but i i think less story is better and i and um but if they're not if they want story tv series that's the best thing for them to do anthony you've been absolutely uh generous with your time look gonna have to get you back on the show to again just to we could probably do like a deep dive into all the halloween movies um maybe even more so in halloween too have to get you back on the show and obviously okay. uh, talk about all your other work that's happening but this is the part where i like to give uh the guest a plug obviously we're talking about halloween to the board game for, for stop the killer with fright rags what's all the good deets so people could want find out more about this game and more about yourself well Go to stopthekiller.com <laughs> and sign up for the mailing list. That's the first thing. Please do that. If you want the game, that's where you're, that's where we're going to notify you. And we're going to do social ads and, you know, we hope, we hope the buzz will start generating. Um, so hopefully you'll see it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but if you want to be alerted, just sign up for a mailing list on stopthekiller.com. Um, the Kickstarter will be launching June 1st. That's the plan right now. We seem to be on track to do that. Um and that's pretty much it. We're going to have a couple of surprises in the middle of the campaign, just fun stuff. You know, I mean, when you you do a Kickstarter, there's, um, you know, the day one is real exciting because it's launched, you know, and and but there's 30 days. So there's always a dip in the middle. And then there's there's, there's pledges in the beginning and pledges on the, at the end. But in the middle, there's a dip. So we want to um, do some fun things in the middle there to kind of keep the Halloween 2 fun going. Um, 
but yeah, that's pretty much it. We're really excited about it. We think if you're a Halloween two fan, you're going to love the game. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, you know, if you're not a board game person, don't worry. It's not complicated. You can start playing right away and um, you're going to want it because it's a collectible. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's, I mean, I wish I could show everybody the game right now, but it's gorgeous. <laughs> Anthony Massey, director of Massey Media and the man behind the Stop the Killer series with Fright Rags, Halloween 2, the board game. I can't wait till it comes out, but I do realize it's only going to be released uh, in America. Is there any way that I could get some yes. inter international shipping or what can I do? Maybe I might have to get some relatives over there to uh, get me a copy. That's your best plan. Uh, it is only U.S. and Canada, and it's just a licensing thing. It's just a, it's a parameter we have to follow because... Uh, Universal, I think they don't own international uh, licensing. So the other previous games we shipped all around the world, just find someone here to buy it for you and have them mail it to you. <laughs> that's the, that's my best advice. There's nothing I can do about that. No. And I can't sell them on like my website. Yeah, I just can't do it. Um, but yeah. That's I'm right. sure there's going to be a lot of people doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. like I said, uh, I'll I'll try to, I'll try to donate to the uh, Kickstarter as well. I'll do more than uh, my twenty dollars Australian, which is fourteen American. I'll try to uh, to slip you a few more money come payday, and uh, hopefully uh, get this thing rolling. I'm really excited about it. And, awesome! Uh, thank, Great, and you're going to love it. And thank you for taking the time, Anthony Massey. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Talking Shape, the ultimate Halloween franchise podcast created by the fans. Make sure to stay up to date with the latest episodes by following Talking Shape on Twitter at Talking underscore Shape and liking us on Facebook. Feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We appreciate your support. Until next time. Go home. Go home.